Welcome to Planet Geo, the podcast where we talk about our amazing planet, how it works, and why it matters to you. Ready? <laughs> Chris. Chris, I, I have to <laughs> tell you something, my friend. When you cl- when you clapped right there, we always clap in to put an audio spike for easy editing. When you clapped in, I saw some salsa fly out of your beard. <laughs> <laughs> I know. All right, clue everybody in about what's going on because this so is Chris. Man, Chris got on on <laughs> Chris got on Zoom, <laughs> and he's got a new color beard today. It's it's called salsa red. <laughs> I did not know this. It's got, you know, it, it, it reminds me of rocks, actually. Chris, you know, uh, when you when you find like a, a, a nice like quartz or granite or feldspar or something, it has that red iron stain to it. Yeah, it's I what know. your beard looks like. It looks like you have this white gray beard that has iron staining in it. <laughs> and, you know, so I, I do. I have this massive. I didn't see it until I looked at myself on Zoom and. I have a massive stain on my silver gray pelt laying across my face. And I, you know, I've had it there for probably an hour, Jesse. And <laughs> Chris, what? you know, I, I was, I was oblivious. And now I feel like I have to go to the bathroom and clean myself up. <laughs> Chris, I, I, I hate to proceed. bring it to you. You do have to go to the bathroom and clean yourself <laughs> up, my friend. But quick question. What is it? Is it, mm-hmm. is it chili? Is it salsa? Is it red no. wine? What's going on? So actually, um, I made a Cajun chicken dinner, and so it's Cajun sauce on my on my beard. What I a visual there, right? to start out the podcast with, man. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, amazing. But, Our listeners are just thrilled to be picturing you with your gray pelt across uh, your face that's Cajun chicken stained. I mean, amazing. Well, now that I'm this close to the microphone, too, I can smell it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Okay. We could wrap this up quick because Chris needs to shower. <laughs> I mean, I do. Uh, I gotta go. So up. the uh, yeah. the the title here. So we're in vacation mode, which is in part why we're sort of a little giddy, maybe or something. But we're on our holiday break, which we usually take from sort of Thanksgiving to uh, right around the New Year. So we take episodes that we've released before. We kind of package them up into a theme, and we re-release them over the holidays here. So this Chris is. A, I think this is a special one. I'm particularly. We kind of we talked about this for a while. We went back and forth about like, we've got a lot of themes here. What do we pull together for this, you know, 2023 holiday season? And I'm excited about this one. This one, we're calling it Cure for the Winter Blues. <laughs> and it's a bit of like a geo travel log or something, right? Exactly. But you know, it has a lot of truth to it too, Jesse, because this is, it's time right now to start planning your summer trips. If you're going to go to busy places or you're going to try to go get permits that are difficult to get and that kind of thing, like you, you really have to be on it. And so I'm gearing up right now. I'm keeping a calendar of exactly who I have to contact, when I have to contact. I'm planning my summer right now. I'm planning the trips that I'm going to lead my students on. I'm planning the trips that Jenny and I are going to go on. And so it's in my frontal lobe right now i mean this is what i'm thinking about so and it does cure the winter blues for sure it does i mean my summer's looking a little bit more stressful unfortunately than i'd like it to be i mean between (laughs) there's a lot of life stuff going on and then there's potential really cool field work i could go on but anyway stress me out a little bit i'll be honest but and also you know what people are getting their holiday gifts together and and christmas gifts lists and you know maybe there's some cool Mm -hmm. sleeping bags or new tent or you know outdoor gear hiking boots whatever maybe a rock hammer 
some very exciting stuff coming coming or down the chimney. It's, it's time to start getting in shape. No, you're Chris, gonna go. Whoa, 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 whoa! That's a that's a New Year's thing, man. Like we, we don't focus on getting in shape over Christmas, do we? We like we do because if we're starting to plan for our summer, we're gonna do things. We're gonna get off the couch and go be adventurous. We're gonna be our best self. So you you need to get in shape. I, I sort of am a so. eat, drink and be merry person over the holidays, and then getting getting in shape. That's like a February project, <laughs> but. <laughs> uh, I guess I don't know, uh, but I don't know. It's a process. It's a long so process. This theme, Chris, is uh, a good one, particularly because it's quite personal to both of us. The first six episodes that we're going to re-release here, they're in order of the trip that you lead, the Summer Science Institute camping trip and and outdoors and geology trip for high schoolers that you lead now you've led for years decades now i went on as a student you taught me geology through this course i actually went on it as a kid as did you your dad started it as a sort of a biology themed trip a little bit more so my dad led it for a bit and it was my dad was a biologist so you know also kind of biology focused you took it over when i was in middle school or early high school maybe and then middle um, school i think yeah yeah, and you've led it for you know, decades. And really, I mean, you're Chris Boy, so it's become more of a geology trip, let's be honest, right? <laughs> like, you, I mean, there's some biology, like there are squirrels. So you do see some squirrels when you're going out there and you see some elk, but you mostly look at the rocks. Is that right? We do. I like some of the biology, actually, Jesse. This is maybe the only time you're going to hear me say this, but some of it is really cool. When you get into these trophic cascade situations that places like Yellowstone have found themselves in with the the non-native uh, lake trout species or the, the reintroduction of the wolves and these like cascades of life that have happened as a result of it is really a fascinating thing to talk about. So we Fine, do that too. Fair enough. Biology is sort of interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so back to the thing here, Chris, we're going to lead off here with the Badlands. Badlands National Park this is a re-release of an episode that we we did uh, a year and a half ago, maybe. But the Badlands, uh, Chris, what what's special to you about the Badlands National Park? I mean, it's kind of the first stop on this trip, at least if I if I remember correctly. Like there is a, I think when we went, we stopped somewhere for just an overnight. But Badlands was like the first geology learning stop. That's right. And what's special to ba the Badlands for me is that's the first experience. It's the first time you get to see the students look at it, and they're in absolute awe because. The Badlands just looks so strange. It's a very odd thing, right? And to see them look at it and just be astounded by what's going on. And they're they're full of wonderment. And it, I love that about it. it. It's their first like field geology exposure. And it, to me, that's a really cool thing. What about you, Jesse? What's your favorite thing? Yeah, I, the, the Badlands, well, I don't know. They hold a special spot, I think mostly from when I was a kid, actually, because it was you know, we were always mm -hmm. very excited to go on this trip as kids. I'm sure like you were as a kid and your kids, your children were probably the same way. I mean, I forget how old they were both walking when I went. It was really fun to have them when I was a student that your, your kids were like very fun to have on the, on the trip. Cause they're like super excitable. Everything's super interesting. Yeah. And I was that the Badlands was always <laughs> like the most exciting. Cause it was the first hike you get to go on. And there's actually topography. Like there's some decent topography that is very different from anywhere you see in Michigan for sure, but different from many parts of the world too. So it's really pretty. It's really unique. The landscape's totally cool. Get to sleep in a tent. It was all that like childhood excitement. That's kind of what it evokes for me, the, the Badlands here. But the geology is really awesome too and really kind of unique. And Badlands is a general geologic term and also a national park. And so we, we in this episode, we kind of talk about what it takes to make a Badland area. And it's super interesting geology too. It absolutely is. 
So anyway, yeah, let's Badlands coming your let's way. Let's get to it. The Badlands here, uh, part one of eight in our Cure the Winter Blues. Hey, Professor Rymank. Hey, Chris. You're looking particularly <laughs> enthusiastic today. Well, why wouldn't I be? We're talking about the Badlands today, oh. you know, so... <clears throat> That's true. Yeah. You have every reason to be enthusiastic. Let's do some quick introductions here because maybe it's been a little bit. You're Chris Bullheis, right. high school teacher extraordinaire, nationally recognized, regionally <laughs> recognized, won a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of teaching awards, have taught earth science, college level geology, field geology, astronomy, loads of stuff. You're my former high school teacher. And right now you're probably on the trip that really cemented me wanting to go into geology. Yeah, I am. And as you said, you're Dr. Jesse Remick, and you're one of my former students. You went on to get your PhD actually in geoscience at the University of Alberta, and you now work at one of the most prestigious geology programs in the country, actually. And that's impressive um, that, you, you know, you work at Penn State University as a geoscience professor, and that's awesome. I love that. It's, I yeah, am a that's so lucky cool. SOB to be working yeah. at Penn State. Uh, yes, you um, are. They have yes, not realized their mistake yet. <laughs> <laughs> so you're That's on pretty this funny. trip. I want to. I want to like sort of double click at this because we're releasing this at the time we're releasing it right now with meaning because you are on this trip right now, and this trip was really fundamental to me getting into geology and I think maybe even you getting into geology because your dad used to teach this trip back in the day when it was a little bit more biology focused right and you went along as a kid and yeah yeah that had nothing to do though with me getting into geology that had more to do with a <laughs> a gifted professor that I had in college that just made our planet come to life description of earthquakes and, and volcanoes and the pot and, and tectonics and you know what makes this planet work that was what really did it to me and he was just so gifted you know and it's the power of that and you were that professor for me at the high school level so i was really <laughs> very lucky to have someone like you but this trip you're on it right now let me just paint a picture here you take I think 26 students now from yep. Michigan, you get in a big yellow bus and you drive out to the Western United States and you hit all the big national parks in the sort of Eastern part of the Western United States. So that's Grand Teton National Park, Yellowstone National Park, Glacier National Park, all of which we have covered in Planet Geo before and talked about the geoscience of those parks. So go listen to those. But we're going to talk about the Badlands today because this is a stop in, in South Dakota on the way to what I'm going to call here the real mountains, but the Badlands are kind of like the warm up to the mountains, or they at least were for me on this trip because you're driving from Michigan across the prairies, you know, Nebraska, cornfields, nothing oh, against cornfields, I... but like it's pretty flat. There's a lot of them. And then you hit the Badlands and it's like, oh, topography in rocks and fossils and like some actually interesting geology there as a sort of a warm up till you hit the real stuff in the Rockies. So we're releasing this while you're on this trip so that, you know, people who are listening can kind of kind of follow along a little bit, right? That's right. Yeah, you described it very well and in terms of also my approach to this. First of all, I think geology as a field is so easy to sell because all you got to do is go out and see our planet. 
go see things. We live in an amazing world. That's what geology is for you and I, is it just makes it come to life. It just, it's just, ah, it's awesome. Anyway. So yeah, we go to the Badlands. It's day two, you know, and we get there around noon on day two and it's their first exposure. And if you've never been to the Badlands, the way I think of it is I'm this little tiny speck. I'm like an (laughs) ant. Okay. And I'm in a gigantic sandcastle. Oh, yeah. And that's how the Badlands feels to me. You know, that's very apt, Chris. That's very apt right there. Yeah. It's like, it's like beach, you know, you're at the beach and you're digging sand castles and making little sand pits and, you know, all this stuff is going on and it's kind of muddy and it's, that's a perfect description. Uh, so what we're talking about specifically here is Badlands National Park, which is in South Dakota. That's capital B, Badlands, the national park, the location. Badlands, lowercase b, is a geologic feature, actually, a landscape feature. And these are pretty common, or at least let's say they're not uncommon around the world. These things occur. Like most people probably live within driving distance of some badlands somewhere. And there's a few famous ones, some pinnacles in New Zealand, Kaushan, Taiwan. One of my favorites is called Toadstool Geologic Park in Nebraska, which is a great one. And then there's a big series in Alberta in Red Deer, near the Red Deer River, near where I lived in, um, in Edmonton, Alberta. And Chris, I guess, what does it take? Well, could you paint a quick, really quick picture of what Badlands look like and then lead us into a discussion about what the key components we need to form Badlands are, what the key geologic features are? Yeah, the only problem with your lead into that is quick. I have a hard time doing that, (laughs) okay, because I'm passionate about this shit. It's like, this is so good. I love the Badlands. You said it, Badlands National Park in South Dakota, but- you know, when we come back on our way back home out of the trip, we, we don't travel through South Dakota. We travel through North Dakota and we go to Theodore Roosevelt National Park in North Dakota. Those are badlands also. And you get them in Eastern Montana. We cross badlands once we leave the Black Hills heading toward the Bighorn Mountains. We cross over these massive mountains and we are in badlands again in between the Bighorns and Yellowstone. It's like they're all over the place. And so that begs the question, well, what does it take, right? Well, we can boil it down, I think, to four things that geologically you got to have. And the first thing is we got to have an area that is well above sea level. We got to have you know, erodible materials. And, and in order to have that, you have to be well above sea level. Two, you got to have softer sedimentary rocks that are juxtaposed to really harder and more resistant sedimentary rocks. And then we need to have this arid climate. And that's important for really two reasons, because in an arid climate, you have a lack of vegetation and vegetation holds things down and anchors things down and really like minimizes weathering and erosion. And the other thing with an arid climate is the kind of precipitation you get. You know, you, you don't get tropical rain kind of precipitation. You get cloudburst, violent events. You know, it's short, but it's extremely intense. And when you get that, then that those are the, the ingredients for like rapid, harsh erosion. And Chris, we sat, I remember this cloudburst type thing, just so we can paint a picture of this. We sat, I think we we're at the top of Pikes Peak Batholith. We were on a rock collecting trip in Colorado. 
and we were up near Pikes Peak overlooking Colorado Springs. And we were watching this amazing anvil-shaped thunderhead move across the prairies to the east. And this is exactly what we're talking about. Like, if you've lived, if you've traveled across any kind of prairie land, in North America especially, you get this all the time, where you get these huge thunderheads that pile up and they move across the landscape and they just dump torrents of rain for about 15 minutes onto the land. And then they go away. And that's... That's what we're talking about with this cloudburst, like really intense, really short-lived rain. And I just remember sitting there, Chris, we're looking back east, the sun is setting behind us, and it's just lighting up this huge anvil-shaped thunderhead miles and miles away to the east, just dumping torrents of rain out of the prairies. And we're sitting on this mountain overlooking. It was a beautiful, beautiful view. Uh, you and I have so many memories together that are just, they, they warm the heart. Okay, I love that. <laughs> I remember true. exactly what you're talking about. One of the thing about this cloudburst thing in the Badlands, it is so dry that when you get these storms, it often is rocking and rolling above you. You can smell it, you can hear it, but it's not hitting you because it's evaporating before it hits the ground. And that's a common occurrence in a place like this where this all this stuff is going on, but it's not making its way to the ground. And obviously, the longer this goes on, the closer it gets to hitting the ground. But that's a really cool experience to see a storm above you and still stay dry. And that brings us to the fourth point of what you really need to create Badlands lowercase b this geographic feature is that you typically need something like shale or clay at the surface. And that is a rock that is very impermeable, so meaning water can't flow through it very quickly at all. But that is really essential for badland formation because what it means is that when you get this really heavy downpour of rain, it doesn't seep into the ground, it flows across it. Think concrete compared to grass. It'll flow across the surface, and when it flows across the surface, it starts to erode stuff physically, meaning taking grains and moving them downstream. Like you think of a gravel road that has those little rivulets that form in a heavy rain and it's washing material downstream as opposed to percolating through it. That's really important for forming badlands because badlands have some of the highest erosion rates out there in the world, meaning the most amount of sediment being removed per unit time out there. And what is it in the Badlands National Park? It's like one inch per year or something like that? I mean, it's crazy Yeah, it's over high. that. It's almost, in some areas, it's over eight inches a year. Oh my goodness. Eight inches per year. And that, that really highlights the fact that actually we can form these anthropogenically. There are human-induced Badlands in the world, some famous ones in northern Spain from Roman mining activity, and also some pretty famous ones in Ontario, Canada from overgrazing and uh, sort of poor farming practices, which removed all the vegetation. The rocks underneath of it were ripe for forming badlands. And once the vegetation is gone, erosion starts to take over and boom, the system's done. Like it's in a badland formation. You're going to have rapid erosion until you kind of either replant some trees or stabilize the landscape. So, all right, that's what we need to have badlands. Those four things we need to have land above sea level. We need to have soft sedimentary rocks. We need to have arid climate with this cloudburst rain, and we need to have some impermeable sediment layer at the top, like shale or clay. Chris, let's work through the geologic story of Badlands National Park, now capital B, Badlands National Park in South Dakota. Where do we start with these rocks? Well, geologically, we always start at the bottom. 
especially when we're talking about sedimentary rocks, because the bottom is the first page of the book. The bottom is the oldest. And we got to start at the beginning. In the Badlands, and it's really in the Badlands only, because there are older rocks that are in other areas of that part of the country. But in the Badlands, we start with a layer of rock that is roughly 80 million years old, and it's deposited by the Western Interior Seaway. And this is a seaway that it's a shallow sea. You know, it transgressed and regressed. It got deeper and shallower. And, you know, the biology kind of went with the shifting shorelines that was going on. But it extended from the Gulf of Mexico to the Arctic Ocean in the western part of what is now North America. It also extended, like, from an east-west standpoint, it extended from Wyoming from the Wyoming-Idaho boundary to the Mississippi River Basin there. So, like, it was really, like, long and skinny. That was depositing this layer of rock that is known as the Pier Shale. And that's Pier, but it's spelled like Pierre. I always think of it, P-I-E-R-R-E, <laughs> Shale. So you might see it, you know, spelled and think, oh, that's not what we're saying. But we're saying Pier Shale, but it looks like Pierre. Pierre yeah, Pierre. right. It does. And they're very they're very funny about that. It's it... <laughs> So this is the bottom. What does the rock look like? I mean, how would you identify it when you're out there hiking in the Badlands? So the Pier Shale is, in the Badlands, the top part of it is this like bright yellow lavender kind of color. We'll get into that in a second and to why that is the case, but everywhere else it's this dark gray. It's almost this bluish gray to black, like organic, rich, weak, soft, wimpy, crumbly shale, typical shale rock. But the cool part about it is that it has fossils. Now remember what we're talking about, right? We're talking about South Dakota. It has fossils in it that are amazing. Fossils like plesiosaurs. These things are, you know, they were patrolling the sea. These were 80 feet long shallow marine saltwater organisms. And, you know, just like incredible things. There were turtles. There were sharks. Just this amazing diversity of fossils that lived in this sea at this time, which is like, to me, I look at that. I'm like, oh, that's amazing because... It looks nothing like what it does today. We're talking about a, a landscape that is well above sea level and about as dry and opposite of the conditions as you can get, right? So there's the pier shale. That's the bottommost layer that you're going to find in the Badlands. So what's next? What happens? So we got to touch on the top of the pier shale, which you kind of talked about as this yellow layer, right? And this represents erosion chemical erosion now at the surface. So think of this black shale layer, which is being deposited in this shallow sea. Now, all of a sudden that land is uplifted and that shale is now exposed to the surface, meaning the atmospheric conditions. And that causes... That's right. So Jesse, what exposed this shale? Because you said that it's this, you know, yellow, it's, it's chemically altered, but that happens when it's exposed to the elements. What did this? What, what's next? Yeah, so this is the Laramide orogeny, and we've talked about this before. We've talked about this with the Tetons. We've talked a little bit about it with Yellowstone. But the Laramide orogeny is this mountain-building event that took place all across the western United States. And this had a lot to do with 
oceanic plate subducting underneath the North American continent, moving from west to east underneath of North America. Most people think it probably had a flat subduction regime. So this is an oceanic plate that kind of slid underneath. Oh, we're using the big words right now. I see <laughs> a, a flat subduction regime. Wow. Yes, this is <laughs> after professor all. Giannis right now. I can I can feel it. <laughs> Okay, all right, all right, I'll dial it back, dial it back. Tone it down, Jesse. Calm down, calm down, Jesse. <laughs> so oh my this gosh. is, think of, I don't know, what's a good analogy? Chris, you probably have a great analogy of this, but it's one oceanic plate sliding underneath the continent and it's like a pushing sliver. the continent up. A sliver. Oh, yeah, a sliver like, underneath your finger. Yeah, I think. That's a great one. Okay, perfect. Yeah. That's a very painful analogy to go for, but it works. <laughs> I don't like thinking about it. You're but right. You're right. Exactly. It's taking a piece of oceanic crust, shoving it underneath of the continental crust, which pushes up the continental crust. So this uplift across a very broad region was going on. And this was, you know, started around 65 to 70 million years ago, continued for a few tens of millions of years and created this uplift, which exposed these rocks and created the potential for chemical erosion that you referenced. That's right. However, a massive event happened. 65 million years ago, our planet was met with a massive catastrophe, and that was the meteor, the asteroid impact that caused the extinction of the dinosaurs. So at this time, 65 million years ago, we had a lot going on, right? <laughs> this is a lot that's happening. We have this mountain building event that really shaped the Western part of the United States as we know it today. We have this sea that is being drained by this uplift because you uplift the land, the sea goes away. And then a meteor hits that is just game changing. It's a bad day to be alive on the planet during this time. And at this time, then all dinosaurs, all flying reptiles just essentially vanished in a very short period of time in the sea life was dramatically changed ammonites mosasaurs which are these large swimming reptiles that were like kind of important in terms of veganer's you know continental drift theory we talked about that earlier foraminifera the diversity of this hugely diverse marine organisms just went to much, much, much smaller. And just a few species remained after this impact. So this was a massive deal. So the seaway, as this was going on, eventually entirely disappeared from the region and an entirely new ecosystem gained traction. Yeah. And so this is a catastrophe for the dinosaurs <laughs> and the mammals would consider it a great opportunity because the mammals have ended up taking over the niche, all the biological niches, right? And this was the expansion of the mammals. So back to the rock record here, how we see this massive catastrophic event represented in the rock record is first of all, there's a bunch of fossils in this entire region that represent this episode. Hold on. I'm going to interject here, Jesse. You're right. The Badlands are one of the most prolific fossil troves anywhere in the country. I mean, in the Badlands proper, the fossils you're going to find are mostly mammals, not dinosaurs. You have to go elsewhere to find the dinosaur fossils, but it is 
so incredibly rich in fossils. So sorry, I had to interject that. No, that, that's absolutely true. We're going to come back to that in a, just a minute or two. So the sediment, this pure shale was exposed above sea level, exposed to the atmosphere, which induced chemical weathering, which turned this black rock into the yellow rock. And this is a really, really beautiful rock that you can see at the, the base of the mid-level of most of the cliffs that you can see. It's still the pure shale, but it's weathered. It's chemically weathered, and what happens is it makes these beautiful yellow lavender colors, and it's an iron hydroxide mineral. So it's taking iron, which was in a reduced state in the black shales, and it's turning into an oxidized version, which creates these yellow minerals like goatite. It's basically rusting, except it's not red, it's yellow, <laughs> of the rock layers. Look at you dropping weird mineral names like goatite. Yeah, you know, they're the, very fun. Nobody ones, knows though, what goatite is. Hey, I nobody know. knows it's what f- goatite is. It's the yellow well, one. Hold on. It's the yellow one in these rocks. Of, it's great. Of our many thousands of listeners, some of them probably know what goatite is. But yeah, yeah. Don't disrespect people. People know what goatite I'm is, not, Chris. I'm, you know. I'm actually, I apologize. You're going to get some hate mail uh, for that one. <laughs> <laughs> please don't. Please don't. I respect all of you. You know, the pure shale also had pyrite in it. And the pyrite is... When it chemically weathers, it turns it into this beautiful lavender and bright yellow colors. The best place to see this, because like hopefully people are going to go there, is Kanata Pass. Kanata Pass, you can see it all. You can see the pure shale and it's beautifully weathered colors. And then you can see the the White River group above that, which we're going to talk about here in a couple minutes. You can see all of the formation of the Badlands really at Kanata Pass. It's an, it's an amazing place. I love that. That's my favorite place. At the top of the Pier Shale, now we transition into a different type of deposit, a different type of sedimentary rock, and it represents a different type of environment, right? And the, the uplift of the Black Hills, which is just to the west of this region at this time and still is to to this day but the black hills uplifting allowed rivers to deposit sediments so we have this pure shale that's exposed to the atmosphere it's chemically weathered now we have sediment being deposited in this region because the black hills were uplifted and so then we pushed rivers that flowed from the black hills east and deposited all the sediment and i don't know chris the landscape i kind of always envision with this is uh, you know those scenes in Jurassic Park where the helicopter's like flying over the river valley and there's like all sorts of animals. They just chuck all the dinosaurs all into one image, one shot in the movie. All the dinosaurs, you've got like all these different herds of dinosaurs migrating around, there's birds flying everywhere. That's kind of what I envisioned, except instead of dinosaurs, remember dinosaurs got knocked out by this meteorite impact. Now it's mammals. And so we have things like deer, giant pigs, small horses, like it, but this really kind of fertile floodplain region, right? Is that kind of an apt description of this? It's very apt, but I think you shortchanged the biodiversity. I mean, you said we had these giant pigs and small horses. We had saber-toothed cats. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, what? That's totally crazy. Totally cool. So cool. We had rhinoceros, hippopotamus. We had alligators, squirrels, burrowing organisms. The biodiversity tells us a ton about the climate, Right. Like this was a warm tropical climate that existed during this time and the biology, let alone, I mean, we're, we haven't talked about fauna at all. 
you know, in terms of like the plant diversity that we had too, that's preserved as pollen and spores in the sedimentary rocks also. Like this was a much, much, much warmer climate than what we have today and, and wetter too. So Chris, what are the names of the sedimentary units that represent this environment we're discussing right now? Yeah, I think that's important to talk about. So, you know, you said that we have the uplift of the Black Hills now that has begun due to the Lair Matarajni. And go back to our Black Hills episode a few weeks prior, which talks really in detail about how the Black Hills formed. But the Black Hills are integral to the formation of Badlands. So about like 60 miles west of the Badlands. And when you're sitting at Kanata Pass looking down on the Pier Shale and all these other layers of rock that you can see, on a clear day, on a dry day, you can see the outline of the Black Hills. And it is so cool. <laughs> so they're uplifting. I mean, the, the extent of the uplift was in excess of 15,000 feet. So as they were uplifting, the granite that was exposed there with these rocks was getting shed off by these mountain streams. And they were flowing towards what is now the Badlands. And so what did this look like at the time, right? We talked about this shallow sea that existed here. That's easy to envision. We'll now envision mountains rising to the West, streams coming off and slowing in what are now the Badlands. So that makes this a floodplain deposit. And so you have these rivers that are slowing down, depositing clay, silt, and sometimes even sand, which is higher energy. And they formed these layers that are called the Shadron and the Brule. The Shadron is right on top of the Pier Shale, and the Brule is on top of the Shadron. They have slightly different characteristics. This is where rivers were slowing down and depositing sediment in a typical floodplain, which is also why, Jesse, why we have so many fossils here. So, Jesse, I want, I'm going to defer to you on this. Why do fossils equate to a floodplain? Well, floodplains are very, actually sort of fairly dynamic environments for biological <laughs> diversity. There's just loads of animal life there, but they're also kind of traumatic environments too. You have floods <laughs> in a floodplain and floods can very easily <laughs> come through and take out a bunch of animals and deposit them all in one spot. So you could have, you know, floods are really treacherous things that happen, right? And so it's easy to kill a, a herd of stuff and dump all the bodies in one location, bury them under a bunch of sediments so it's anoxic and those bodies don't decompose quickly. Eventually that gets turned to rock. And that's one way to form a lot of fossils in a floodplain region. But Chris, you talked about this and this is a, a rock feature that we often see is what's called paleosols. And that's just paleosol, ancient soil. And you, you touched on this, that in this floodplain region, you have a bunch of stuff deposited, but in a floodplain, you also have soil exposed at the surface and rock exposed to, again, atmospheric chemical weathering, which creates an ancient soil environment. And there are loads of these preserved along with lots of other classic geological features, which maybe we can go through those really quickly, Chris. Like what are some other classic features that we see? Well, first of all, I just want to talk about the paleosols. I envision a rhinoceros walking up to the river 
dipping his head down to to get a little sip of water and then just getting demolished by this flood that <laughs> comes ripping down the, you know the valley and you know just kills the rhinoceros and and buries the rhinoceros because that's usually how fossils are preserved as they need yeah, to be killed yeah. and buried in quick well, succession let me, so let me say decay. something about that i mean <laughs> I remember see, the fossils are everywhere. We didn't really you know, harp on this point, but we need to harp on this point because fossils are everywhere in the Badlands. We, I remember walking along in on a hike with you, uh, you know, as part of the class, and you just see pig fossils laying there right next to you. You're walking along. Jawbones all over the place. Yeah, yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And they're just all over the place. It's really just an unbelievable place. If you just go for anything more, just go for a mile hike anywhere, and you're basically always going to see a fossil, and they always kind of erode positively out. So they kind of are on the top of little mounds, but they're still in place. And it's just that they're a little bit more resistant to weathering than the clayey rock around them. And so they weather out a little bit positively, but they're just all over the place it's spectacular and there's a really famous one called the pig dig i remember that because it's like a whole herd of pigs that were like buried and fossilized and they call it the pig dig it's great a massive that flood name. wiped out a whole herd of pigs yeah that's amazing. right i do want to say though that you know get out and explore the badlands you're going to see fossils galore right don't collect them Oh, absolutely like, not. No, no, no. You no, never. never you don't do that. It's it's so tempting but one it's wrong, like really wrong and don't do that. Yeah. And two is you can pay a massive fine. I mean they really really monitor for this. Okay, so the Shadron on top of the pier. The Shadron is like this shaly sandy mixture. The sand that's in the shale allows water to percolate more. And so the weathering is different there. On top of the shadron is the brule. And the brule has very little sand in it, actually, and more clay, which makes it shed water like a roof. And so this is the stuff that tends to form the peaks. And the shadron below it forms like these hummocky, like swell and swale kind of thing. But here's what happens. When the brule falls on top of the shadron it forms a toadstool or a mushroom rock okay where you get this the brule which is much tougher and more resistant doesn't allow water to percolate through it sits on lands like a thud on top of the shadron then it forms this like really narrow pedestal and forms really cool formations you alluded to it because it's one of your favorite in nebraska i think right toadstool badlands That's right. And there's several other features. The most interesting, I think, is clastic dikes. So we've talked about fossils. We've talked about paleosols. We've talked about mushroom rocks. Clastic dikes are this really interesting phenomenon. We often think in geology of dikes as being igneous rocks. So think of a igneous rock intrudes across a sedimentary layer. So it pumps a bunch of magma through a sediment. It forms a vein, basically, of magma, which we call a dike if it's big enough. That crystallizes and sits there. And, and then we have this igneous rock cross-cutting a sedimentary rock. Now, clastic dikes are sedimentary rocks cross-cutting other sedimentary rocks. And there's two different ways that they can form. Both of them are realistic. One is if you have a water-packed sediment sitting down underneath of other sediment. That's a funny sediment. way of putting it, by the way. What's Just that? Just going to say, both of these are realistic. Yeah. And well, here I go. Here <laughs> like I go. It's just funny. Sit down, I, shut up, I appreciate and listen to that. me, Chris. I'm going to lecture <laughs> to you. <laughs> 
and I don't want to hear any interruptions out of you either. Uh, uh, you, uh, I love interrupting you, and you hate it when I interrupt you. Like I, well, I, here's the thing: <laughs> I have a relatively simple mind. That <laughs> no, you do not. That is a bold faced lie right there. Okay, well, if oh I my get God. distracted, it's very hard for me to recover to what I was thinking about beforehand. So. I don't you have a one-track mind. That is not a simple mind, okay? <laughs> okay. Well, is, those are two I, different things. I have a very one-track mind. <laughs> so where was I? Anyways, I was on to something really important. I had something important to say, and you distracted me from it. Uh, well, sorry. I well, fell asleep, so anyways, I can't help you. We're talking about what no, are we talking about? On, the Badlands. No, you were in a roll. Wait, well, I don't actually, I honestly don't remember. What was I talking about? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't know, Jesse, because I was thinking about how rambly you were getting, and yeah, I thought I was going to interrupt him. Pa- Paleosols or something. Oh, classic dykes. That's it. Oh, classic dykes. Classic yeah. dykes. Okay. Classic oh, yeah. Dykes. How they're they're both reasonable. That's where they're both you reasonable. Were. They're both reasonable. They're both reasonable things to see. Okay. Yeah. So classic dykes. <laughs> these are sedimentary rocks cross-cutting other sedimentary rocks. Two ways to form them. One way to have a water-rich sediment that's buried under other sediments. So think of something that's packed full of water, really kind of a squishy, think of a waterbed, really. If you pack enough stuff, layer up enough stuff on top of a waterbed, eventually that water layer is going to rupture and it's going to squirt water up, right? The pressure releases upward. And basically, if you have a sediment filled with water down deep and you layer on top stuff, that pressure is going to build up, you layer more on, pressure is going to build up, eventually that'll break the seal and the sediment and water will flow up into a crack and you can kind of get that it's just this sort of diking type of thing this number two if you have a sediment layer sitting there a bunch of sedimentary rocks if you pull them apart with some extensional force they create cracks and joints in the rock and then if wind or sand blows into those cracks it'll fill up the cracks with sand or wind or other sediment and those will form eventually sedimentary rock that is cross-cutting other ones. So there's this sort of bottom-up or top-down formation for clastic dikes. And there's some great examples in the Badlands because the clastic dikes weather out positively, Chris. And so I remember these hikes where you can kind of see you, there's this little cliff or ridge running along and then you get to the end of the ridge and you look at it and it's a clastic dike. The ridge is there because there's a different rock type that's more resistant that you were walking along the whole way and you only see it when you see the end of it. Do you remember what color they are? Are they, are they like a bluish or, or sort of grayish? Is that what the green? I don't know. Something like They're more green. They're green. more green. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. Like yeah. a greenish gray. Um, yeah. I think so. I remember your group actually. Um, we <laughs> go on this little hike. It's like our first introductory. It's not, I, I can't even call it a hike. It's like a walk. Yeah. Um, it's pretty It's tame. maybe a mile. It is really tame, but it's kind of cool because you know, we're walking through the Brule formation, which sits on top of the Shadron. So it's got more resistant nature anyway. And then this is where the clastic dikes are, which you said are more resistant. So they form the peaks and pinnacles. And all. So it's, it's a pretty spectacular, like geologically differentially weathered feature. Totally cool. And we get there to the end of it. And I'm like, all right, what, what have you guys seen? And you guys are like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what did we see, Mr. Boyce? Then I was pissed. I'm like, son of a bitch. Guys, we just walked through an area that is uh, like you're walking through gigantic sandcastles and you didn't notice a thing. 
So I called you guys accidental tourists, and I think I berated you a little bit. Did I, is that I right? Think so. <laughs> I think so. You, you, you gave us a pretty good speech, if I remember correctly. And I'm sure you've given that speech to many groups before and after ours. It seemed no, it was just yours. But... You guys were the worst. So the worst. Anyway, okay. There are so many things to see in the Badlands. And the yeah. thing about the Badlands is you can see almost all of them with like a couple hikes. You don't need to go on massive, huge day-long mm-hmm. treks to see this stuff. It's everywhere because this floodplain area that deposited all this stuff, it's so vast, but it, it kind of forms these little areas where, you know, the river bend will deposit one type and then the other, the inside of and the outside of river bend will deposit different types of sediment. So basically as you're walking down here, you see all different types of stuff on all the hikes. And so... It's kind of a place you don't need to spend a week in the Badlands to see all the geology. You can see all the different types of geology in a day or two, probably. And there's very cool stuff. So you got to spend some time easily there, a Easily a day. And I would recommend, especially if you can drop a car or spot a car, is to do the Castle Trail. It walks you right through the heart of the Badlands. It's a five-mile one-way, so that's why I said spot a car, if, because then it's just a five-mile hike. It's relatively flat. It's pretty well marked. But if you can't, it's worth the 10-mile, because you're going to see things in reverse then, because it's just an out and back then. It's awesome. Um, so look it up. One other thing I want to say, the popcorn weathering is a pretty cool feature that you can see, especially in the Shadron Formation, which is where the water percolates down through the shale, sandy shale a little bit, and then it dries. So the shale expands and then dries and cracks. And so you can literally bend down and scoop it up with your hands, and it, it, it literally you'll have a wad full of this shaley clay sandstone in your hands that looks like popcorn and it just sheds like crazy and so this is one of the reasons why the badlands erode so fast is because of the popcorn weathering kind of nature too so that's it's another pretty cool feature that you can see there so so chris we've covered a lot of the rocks we've covered a lot of the features we have one last event to get Mm -hmm, us to where we are today and so Jesse, one other thing though, that's on top of the brule and these clastic dikes is related to volcanic activity in actually what is now Nevada. So you had these volcanoes that were erupting that were depositing thick layers of ash. And then also the streams from, you know, cause remember this is still a floodplain streams are depositing this ashy layer, which formed this like brilliantly white ashy cap on top of the brule. So that's the most recent sedimentary rock layer that you're going to find in the badlands. So we have again, the pier shale, the chadron, the brule, and you have this volcanic ash layer on top that is a, like it's bright white. You can't miss it. And those are the rocks that we typically see in the Badlands National Park. And there's one final geologic step to get us to where we are today. We have these rocks being deposited, this ancient floodplain environment with some ash being deposited on top of that. You know, that's not what we see today. So what we need is uplift. We need more uplift to get these rocks exposed above. I mean, we need to get these rocks lifted up so that they can be eroded. And this is what's called stream rejuvenation. And this is basically reactivating 
the stream's downcutting force. So a stream, if it has a lots of elevation loss, if it's a steep gradient, it wants to cut down and you sort of reactivate that to make the stream cut down more. And that's what really drives this really rapid erosion. What did you say, Chris? Eight, eight, was it eight inches per year? Up to eight number? inches. It depends on inches. where you are. Yeah. So yeah. that's, uh, that is such a fast erosion rate. <laughs> you know, that's not going on in a floodplain environment that you have to have uplift to do that. And so the climate has shifted gradually in the last 500,000 years, the last half a million years, and regional uplift has rejuvenated these streams such that you can have such a rapid erosion rate going on to form badlands. Because remember that erosion rate is part of what defines badlands, lowercase b badlands. That's right. The streams had to shift from a depositional personality to an erosional personality and they did that through uplift that changed the slope or the grading of the rivers it changed the velocity of it and it turned it into down cutting which turned into erosion so that's the story of the badlands and if you're you know envisioning this and thinking wow i really got to go there Chris Bullheis yeah, is your guy you and you can just envision Chris <laughs> is out there right now, right? Chris, you're out there hanging out with 26 high schoolers, teaching them all this stuff over the next couple of days. You're Ripping on them even, for being accidental tourists. You're probably That's even right. giving them a really good lecture about that right at the moment <laughs> as we're uh, releasing this episode. So go to the Badlands. It's great. It's a great warm up for, you know, the real hard rock geology stuff. We get out of the sediments as soon as you hit the Rocky Mountains. Right. You, you and some. I are hard rock guys, for sure. Yeah, we really yeah. like that stuff. So, But the Badlands are That's amazing, right. amazing place. You can see so much interesting geology in a one-mile hike. It's it's probably, uh-huh. you know, one of the more geologically dense uh, places to see stuff. So it go is. to the Badlands. That's it's right. beautiful. Excellent place. Follow us on all the social medias. We're at Planet Geocast. Send us an email. Smash that like, subscribe button on your podcast and leave us a review and a five-star rating. That really, really helps the algorithm. If you didn't know that already, I'm sure you do, but that really helps us. We appreciate that greatly. And share our podcast with other people that may or may not like our planet. <laughs> That's right. And people who like to just travel around our planet. Cause if they, gonna... Yeah, because if they don't like it, then they need to like it, and they'll like it by listening to us. So That's yeah. right. That's right. And That's right. next week, we're going to have an episode on Devil's Tower. We're going to keep in this theme of following Chris along the Summer Science Institute field geology course, and uh, we're going to talk about Devil's <laughs> Tower next week. So tune in for that. Take care. Cheers. <laughs>